Question. What would it be like to physically stand before God? Many people would give a wrong answer to that question. Even some Christians would probably give a wrong answer to that question. And the reason that they would answer wrongly is because they don't have the faintest idea of what it would mean to stand before the one who is eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, the creator and originator of all things, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the one who is infinite in all of his attributes of holiness, love, goodness, righteousness, justice, mercy, and so on. When confronted with the reality of God's being and to be in his presence, I can assure you that your own conscience would immediately put you in your right place before him. Which is where? Where? Well, Isaiah discovered what that was like. Not physically, but the very next best thing. As he has this great vision of being in the presence of the living God. His response, woe is me, I am doomed here, I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, in the book of Revelation, we have a vision of the Lord's people present with God in glory. These are those believers who've departed from this world and gone to be with their Lord and Savior. These are men and women who've been set free at last from this sinful world and they've gone to that place of perfect righteousness, yet even they, we read, fall down before God in worship. Such holiness, such might, such wisdom, such power, such authority, such righteousness, such grace, such love, such as we could never comprehend that even the sinless angels cover their faces as they worship holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. How could we even dare to begin to think that we could be there in the presence of God, let alone survive it? Like, I, like Isaiah discovered, it would be such an exposing experience Everything about us that does not measure up to who and what God is would immediately and unmistakably be laid bare. No hiding place. 
And as we've seen in this series, the Bible makes it crystal clear that, that in our sins, we cannot stand in his presence. We would not survive being in his presence in our sin. Indeed, we would never even get close to his presence because his judgment would fall upon us long before we got there. Because sin is not just a bit unfortunate. It's devastating. And it brings God's righteous anger upon us all because we have all sinned and fallen short of his glory. And yet, Isaiah did survive, didn't he? And the Lord's people do go into his eternal presence when they leave this earth, don't they? And actually, the Lord's people enjoy God's presence even now in this world. But how can that be? It's largely answered in this one word that we're going to consider this morning. Justification. How can a sinful man or woman stand justified to be there in the presence of God? Well, actually, at the heart of it is what we see in Isaiah chapter 6. Now, of course, this takes place long before the atoning work of Christ on the cross. But the spiritual principles are clearly seen in Isaiah chapter 6. If you have a look, what's, what happens there? Let me just read what happened. One of the angels comes to Isaiah in this vision with a live coal hole in a pair of tongs. And Isaiah says, he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Now, the principles are these. God deals with the problem of Isaiah's sin, symbolized by the touching of his lips with a hot coal. God removes Isaiah's sin from him, purges him, cleanses him from his sin, so that in God's eyes now, he is qualified to stand before heaven's throne. And God makes a declaration about him through the mouth of an angel that Isaiah's sins no longer condemn him in God's presence and that he is now accepted by God and a declaration is made about him. God no longer has to take account of Isaiah's sin because his sins have been removed from him. Isaiah has been justified by God. Justification is God's declaration of our new standing before him. Martin Luther, the, the man that God used to, to uh, kick the Reformation into action 500 years ago, Martin Luther said of justification, 
because of course these doctrines that we're looking at in this series these were fresh and new to him uh, these were, were, were led him uh, to take on the Roman Catholic Church of which he was part he says this of justification it is the head and cornerstone of the church which alone begets nourishes builds preserves and protects the church without justification the church of God cannot subsist one hour and then to bring things into the modern day Dr Sinclair Ferguson says this if we can gain a solid grounding here in justification we have the foundation for a life of peace and joy now before we look at some specifics just a few important points to state at the outset justification does not come in degrees or in stages you either are justified or you are not it's a black and white thing either or and justification does not vary according to how you live as a Christian it doesn't depend upon how you're living today as a Christian justification is fixed and unchanging now that is not to say that how you live as a Christian is not important it most certainly is and we'll come on to some aspects of that later in this series but your being justified does not depend upon how you're living as a Christian that's actually very good news and very assuring we might say that being justified by God and being justified before God like the new birth like saving faith is part of what we might call it's a bit crude but we might call it the initial package if you like of what it means to be saved to be converted whatever kind of phrase you might want to use every born-again Christian without exception is justified and all believers are justified in the same way by the same means and in equal measure there's no distinction between us at all when it comes to justification but what precisely is it justification is five things number one justification is a legal declaration by God justification is when God declares someone to be righteous in his sight as opposed to being condemned think of someone in a court of law before a judge they're accused of being in violation of a particular point of law if the judge agrees they will be declared guilty and when they leave that courtroom they will leave condemned as having broken the law but if the judge disagrees the judge will declare them not guilty and they will leave that courtroom justified how they leave that court depends on one thing and one thing only the final ruling and declaration 
of the judge. Interestingly, other people may think differently about them. But the only thing that matters in terms of their legal standing is what the judge declares about them. And we read this in the Bible about justification. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 25. If there's a dispute between men and they come to court, that the judges may judge them and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. And it's a declaration that's made. We read this in Luke chapter 7. This is interesting and it's very helpful. When all the people heard Jesus, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of God, of John. The tax collectors justified God. Did they make God to be righteous? Of course not. What does it mean when it says the tax collectors justified God? It means they declared the righteousness of God. They declared that God is righteous. They didn't make God righteous. They declared that he is righteous. The important thing here is that it's a legal declaration that's made by God about your standing before him. Now we've seen in this series there are many things about becoming a Christian and God does things in you and to you. You were dead but now you're alive. He gives you a new nature, a new heart. He renews your mind. He brings conviction of sin. You feel it, you know it. He brings repentance and faith. You trust him. There are many things that God does in you and to you but justification isn't one of them. Justification doesn't actually do anything in you or to you. It is God's declaration about you as you stand before him. Now how and why God could do that, we'll look at in the next two points. It's all about the merits of Christ being accounted by God as belonging to you as a Christian. We'll look at that in more detail then. So point two. If you're a Christian, you can say that you're justified in the first place because Christ has paid sin's penalty. Justified because Christ has paid sin's penalty. Now there's something of a dilemma in our struggling little minds that we have to try and resolve. The Bible teaches that you and I are guilty before God. Your own conscience tells you that you're guilty before God. So on what basis may God declare you justified when actually you are condemned? Does he wink at sin and just overlook it? What about his righteousness and his perfect justice? Well, no, of course, the problem of your guilt and your condemnation is all too real. The reason that God can declare you to be not guilty is, firstly, because your guilt has been taken by Christ and paid for on the cross. So we read this in Isaiah chapter 53. He, that's God the Father, shall see the labour of his soul, that's speaking of Christ, and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many 
for he shall bear their iniquities. And then Paul brings this theme in Romans. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So first of all, you're justified as a Christian because Christ has paid sin's penalty for you on your behalf. The guilt and penalty of your sins hasn't somehow been overlooked or mysteriously disappeared. The guilt of your sins has been placed upon Christ and the penalty of your sins has been paid for by Christ. If that were not true, justification would not be possible. But he has and it is. In legal terms, you see, the guilty verdict has already been passed and the sentence, the penalty, has already been paid. And God considers what Christ has done as being where you stand in him. What Christ has accomplished is yours before God and he is able to declare you justified. Not because of anything that you have done but because of what Christ has done for you. The court's requirement for justice has been satisfied on your behalf in Christ. That's the first part of it. And the second part of it is that we're justified because God sees us as having Christ's righteousness. Now we've seen in this series that when we're born again we receive a new nature. But this is not the basis of our justification. We need that new nature to be able to walk and grow and live as a Christian. That sanctification but that new nature plays no part at all in our justification. It's not that God, at conversion, makes each of us so perfectly righteous and holy that we could stand before him. That's not what he does. God declares us righteous. But you and I both know that God does not immediately confer upon you or me the ability to live a life of obedience that matches up to Christ's. Anyone here like to make that claim? That your life matches up to Christ's in his righteousness and his sinlessness and his obedience? We can't make that kind of claim. But that what that's what would be necessary for us to stand before God. But that's not what God has done. But he's made a declaration about us. Now let me just say briefly... This is an area, for example, where the Roman Catholic Church differs with us completely. They have a great deal of confusion between justification and sanctification, which has led to them having a grave error. Now, so as not to confuse you, I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but here's the bare bones of it. They think that justification is based upon an actual inner change in the person and the maintaining of a righteous life and one day maybe you'll be sufficiently righteous to be justified 
God infuses righteousness into you, they say. And now you have to live up to that righteousness and justify yourself before God through your own righteousness. And in doing so, they turn the gospel into salvation by works. I have to prove myself righteous enough before God to make it rather than salvation by grace through faith. They maintain that trusting in Christ by faith is not sufficient for anyone to be justified. But as we'll see, justification by grace alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, faith alone, is precisely what the Bible teaches. And this great theme, of course, was at the center of the Reformation. This was the light of the gospel that dawned in the soul of Martin Luther. It's Christ alone, grace alone alone faith alone that justifies me before a holy god the bible teaches that god looks upon us and instead of seeing us in our sinful state he instead sees us and accepts us as having christ's righteousness which has been imputed to us. He accounts Christ's righteousness as being ours. Now in the Old Testament, the Old Testament makes it clear that we need a righteousness that comes from God. And Isaiah again states this very clearly, that we need a righteousness that's from God and outside of ourselves. He says this in chapter 61, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Now, did Isaiah become sinless before God in chapter 6 no but because of what God did with the hot coals Isaiah's sin is no longer a barrier between him and God and Isaiah wasn't made into a perfectly righteous person but Isaiah received a covering of righteousness and in the New Testament, we see that this is the righteousness of Christ that God covers you with. We see it in Romans 5. By one man's offence, talking about the sin of Adam, death reigned through the one much more than those, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. They'll reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, 
through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's obedience, many were made sinners, also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. We stand in that righteousness, which is Christ's righteousness. So when he's writing to the Philippians, Paul says, to be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is by, from God by faith. And then to the Corinthian church, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ this is a perfect and complete righteousness with which God covers the sinner. And it is the righteousness of Christ so that you may stand in his presence. And this is God's legal declaration about you. I no longer see your sin because of what my son has done. And I see in you a righteousness, not that you have any, but it's the righteousness of my son which I am imputing to you. And you stand in him before me. This is the, the means of our justification before God. So it's not something that's happening within us or to us. It's a declaration that God is making from his throne. We ourselves have not actually become as righteous as Christ is in our nature, in our minds, in our heart, in our will. None of us could make that kind of claim or boast. We know that's not the truth. But God sees us as being covered by Christ's righteousness. He declares that that is so. Christ's righteousness is reckoned by God as belonging to you and therefore you're free from condemnation. Now some of you will have heard this little phrase, justification is just as if I never sinned. I don't really like that. Why? It simplifies things way too much and it gives no account for the fact that it's all according to the merits of Christ that I'm justified. God doesn't just look at me and somehow decide that it's as if I never sinned. It's because of Christ and it's only because of Christ. And that phrase, just as if I never sinned, makes no mention of that, you see. That's the problem with it. You see, my justification isn't just as if I never sinned. It's much more than that. It's because he never sinned. That's the issue. It's not as if I never sinned. It's because he never sinned. And his righteousness is put to me. Isn't that wonderful? That's the gospel. Now on the basis of what we've already seen, the final two points, which are a little bit briefer, they shouldn't really need to be stated, but I'll state them because the Bible states them loud and clear. 
The next point is this. We're justified through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ. True faith in Christ is a complete abandoning of any reliance upon yourself. It's to believe in all that Christ has done. It's to entrust yourself completely to Christ and to him alone for your salvation. When the sinner turns in repentance from sin to Christ, then it is that God declares the sinner justified on account of the Saviour in whom they're trusting. At that moment of conversion, and not before, the sinner stands before God justified on account of Christ who bore their sins and whose righteousness is now accounted by God as theirs. And so we read in the scriptures, Romans again, this is, Read from chapters 3 through to chapter 8 of Romans and you find this theme looked at from all kinds of different angles. That God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Just trusting in Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, by faith, by faith. Nothing that I have. Nothing that I possess. Nothing that's been done to me. Nothing that I can do. Just faith in Christ. He writes to the, to the Galatian church, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ. It's so important. He keeps on at it. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. Why? So that we can be justified by faith. It's all of faith. What's my heartfelt prayer for every single one of you here this morning that you might come to repentance and faith in this Lord Jesus Christ so that you too can stand justified before a holy God knowing that there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus because you've been reconciled to God in Christ and you stand justified before him because of the declaration that now he makes about you. Quick word about James, where in his letter he states that we're justified by works in chapter 2. Really? Yeah, he does. Is that a problem? Uh, No, it isn't actually. Be careful. Read the whole text and keep those verses in their correct context. And it soon becomes clear what James is saying. He's talking about the fact that genuine faith always results in a changed life sanctification just as paul says in ephesians chapter 2 that we've been saved in order that we might do those good works that god has prepared beforehand for us to do james only mentions works in the context of them being the result and outworking of genuine saving faith 
And so the justification by works that he's talking about is only in the sense of actions that are a proof of faith. You cannot read that chapter and conclude that justification is earned or merited by works if you read the whole chapter. If you don't have the works, says James, then your claim to justification is in doubt because the lack of works strongly suggests the absence of faith. In James chapter 2, it's faith that is the main theme and topic all the way through. Well, on the basis of everything we've seen now, it's obvious surely that as with all other aspects of salvation, justification comes as an unmerited and an undeserved gift. And the emphasis of love and mercy is stronger than ever. And this is our concluding point this morning, that justification is entirely by God's grace. Entirely by God's grace. Being justified freely by his grace. You see all the different ways in which this word justified or justification is used in the scripture. Justified by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ. Therefore, it's of faith that it might be of grace, a gift. To the praise of the glory of his grace, he says to the Ephesians, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And then he writes to Titus, one final verse, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Just as we saw for Isaiah at the beginning, God has dealt with the problem of our sins for us on our behalf. Through the merits of Christ, our sins have been purged from us. They've been removed from us. And God declares us clean in him. You're accepted by the Father in Christ because of a death you did not die and a righteousness that you could never live. But God accepts Christ's death as paying in full the penalty for your sins. And he imputes Christ's righteousness to you so that you may stand before him clothed in a righteousness that is not your own. And that is how God sees you. And that is the legal declaration that God pronounces over you as a Christian believer. In this, he has reconciled you to himself. And in Christ, you stand before him justified and confronted with such mercy and with such grace. We too surely can only bow before him and echo with the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory.